Uh, my name is Jim. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, apparently, some of you know me. Um, <laughs> there may be many of you who don't, so just want to uh, give you a little, like, heads up. Who, who's this guy? So, I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and for the last three months, I've been battling cancer. And I just want to say on behalf of my lovely wife, Rose, thank you so much for your continued prayers. Because without that, I literally would not be standing here today. So, thank you very much. A little update on the cancer journey that I am on right now. Currently, I'm going through six weeks of chemo with a chemical that is one of the worst. It's nasty, so there's that. And that ends the first day of March, so that's cool. But then we go out of that frying pan into this fire uh, called six weeks of five days a week, 30 treatments of radiation and then chemo. So that starts then. That will run to about... Uh, uh, chemo brain's real, by the way. So if I say something weird today, blame it on my head, not my heart, because that's for sure. That'll run probably into mid-April, and then after that, I will have a surgery, and then it looks like late May, possibly as late as June, we will be done, and we'll have it all clear. And so your prayers are what help us get through it, so thank you, thank you, thank you so much. We're continuing a series today, really wrapping it, short two-week series called Each of Us Together. Pastor Tim kicked it off last week. We talked about each of us. Regardless of whether the world's coming to church or not, each of us are fit for mission by God to be able to reach the people that we know who don't know Jesus and also raise up disciples. So last week, you talked about each of us. Today, I want to talk about together, that we are to be formed by God's family. If you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 13. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to take a survey. We're going to go through several passages in the New Testament. Each one of those will be up on the screens. We're not going to lose anybody. We want to make sure you can be able to follow along. So if you go to John chapter 13, that's where we're going to start our journey today. As we begin, I'm going to ask you a question. It's kind of an odd question. Here it is. How many pounds do you think the average workhorse can pull? I mean, you're Texan, you should know this. So how many pounds do you think a workhorse could pull, average workhorse? Uh, by show of hands, how many say, I don't know, 3,000? 3, 3,000 pounds, some of you, some of you? How many say, no, no, 4,000, sounds about right, 4,000? Any 5,000 people here, 5,000 pounds, right? Okay, so how many pounds can the average workhorse pull? I need a drum roll in order to tell you. So let's get a drum roll going. Pretty sloppy, you know, you tighten those chops up. Come on, here we go. The average workhorse can pull... 8,000 pounds. Wow. Question number two. How many pounds do you think two workhorses can pull if they're pulling together? How many pounds do you think two workhorses? Well, you go, wait a minute. One workhorse pulls 18,000. Two workhorses, I'm a mathlete. That's, that's 16,000. Well, hold your horses, Wilbur. Get this, the average workhorse, if you get two of them and they pull together, they don't pull 8,000 plus 8,000 equals 16. They can pull 32,000 pounds. That's four times the amount of a single horse all on their own. Hey, why are we talking about workhorses in church here today? Here's why. Here's a newsflash. God in his infinite wisdom has so designed his universe that it operates according to this reality. There's an exponential power in cooperation. When we join with others and work together, the result isn't just this plus that equals that. There's an exponential reality that God pours into when there is cooperation, an exponential strengthening. It's incredible. So let me ask you today, 
How strong are you spiritually right now? Said differently, is there an area of your life where you could honestly say today, man, I just don't have blank to do what I know I should be doing? Some of you could answer that. I just don't have the help to do what I know I should be doing. I just don't have the wisdom to do what I know I should be doing. Some of you say, I just don't have the motivation to do what I should be doing. Now, here's the bad news. Life is hard. You already know this. But we can make it harder than it has to be simply by depending only on ourselves and our own strength to get through it. Now, here's the good news. God has embedded exponential power and strength available to you for your life journey. But here's the problem. He has placed it in the most inconvenient place ever, in the most difficult, challenging, awkward place ever. So where did God place this capacity and power? Right here in God's family. God's family is the place where God has invested significant resources available for your life journey. And one of the things that I am learning personally, and one of the things that we're going to see in the scriptures today is this. This is our big idea. You can write this down if you're a note taker. Here it is. I am only as strong as my commitment to God's family. I am only as strong as my commitment to God's family. I think about family for just a moment. Help me out nice and loud. I love to hear your voice. So nice and loud, true or false, every family has goofy family members. True or false? It's true. It's true of your family. I've seen you. It's true of my family. You've seen us. But you know what? It's also true of God's family, the church. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and you can't think of who that goofy person is, guess what? It's you. You're the goofy one. Now, to be completely honest and full disclosure, um, the fact is, relating in God's family with God's family members, it is difficult. Let's be honest, it's difficult for me. I have a hard time with some Christians. Maybe you have a hard time with some, you just get around them and everything they say, you're just like, it's cringy. You're like, really? Do we, do we have to talk? Can we be? Uh. Kind of reminds me of the old poem. To dwell above with the saints we love, oh, that will be the glory. But to dwell below with the ones we know, oh, that's a different story. <laughs> Truth is, relating with God's family is not easy. It is difficult. And as a result, many people in our day have adopted an unbiblical worldview. And this unbiblical worldview plays out like this. We say yes to a committed relationship with God and then give ourselves permission to say no to a committed relationship with God's family. Newsflash, according to scripture, the moment you receive Christ into your life, you get a new father in God, but you also get a new family in God's family, and it's a package deal. You cannot separate commitment to God from commitment to God's family. You can't do it. In the same way that you, weren't, you didn't pick your physical family, you were just born into it, and there's good, bad, and ugly, and that's family, the same is true spiritually. The moment, I'll give you a Bible verse. Write this down. I'm not gonna tell it to you. You gotta look it up later. 1 John 5, 1. God the Father loves his family. God the Father protects his family. God the Father supports his family. God the Father corrects his family. Question is, do I? Do you? Do we? Because the pattern in Scripture is like father, like family. One of the first things that Jesus did was form a circle of disciples. He was all about it. 
He poured himself in and treated him like family. But you know, our day is a different day. In our day, nowadays, it's become cool, trendy, fashionable for people to say, you know, I love Jesus. I just hate the church. You know anyone who's ever said anything like that? Raise your hand. Let me see your hand. I'm into Jesus, but church, no way. But if you look into scripture, you will find in the scriptures, the church is described as the bride of Jesus in Ephesians chapter five. So that attitude is kind of like saying, hey, Jesus, like, I love you. I just can't stand your pride. Gentlemen, husbands, by show of hands, how many of you be totally okay with someone treating your bride that way? Raise your hand. Don't. It's an idiot test. Do not do that. <laughs> According to scripture, the church is the it's the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's kind of like saying, Jesus, I'm just, I'm drawn to you, but I'm repulsed by your body. According to scripture, the church is called the family of God in 1 John chapter three. That attitude is like saying, Jesus, I care about you, but I don't care about your family. God the Father loves his family, and if we love God, ergo, we must love the family too. It's not an option. And so again, Jesus, when the first thing he did when he started his public ministry is to form a group of disciples and he treated them like family. But the last thing he did, the night before the cross in the upper room in the Last Supper, Jesus got his disciples together and he gave them a charge to continue to treat each other and act like family. Here's what he said. It's in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So first thing I want to point out, notice Jesus gives a new commandment. And the new commandment's repeated three times. Love one another, love one another, love one another. So that doesn't sound new. Because the idea of like loving like your neighbor as yourself, that occurs 10 different times between the Old and the New Testament. So what makes this a new commandment? Here's what makes it a new commandment. Jesus said, if you hone into his words, he said, you are to love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love them? Through the good, the bad, and the ugly. He loved them with a committed love, not a conditional love, not a convenient love, Good, bad, ugly. That's how he loved them. And then he charged them, hey, love one another in God's family just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. In other words, Jesus modeled how we are to relate with each other in God's family. How is that? With a committed love, good, bad, and ugly. And let me just say this. Jesus gave the world the permission to evaluate whether or not I'm a disciple or you're a disciple based on whether or not we do it. By this, all people will know. How are they gonna know I'm a follower of Jesus? If we love one another in the way that he is telling us to. And so I wanna draw your attention to these two words, one another. Curse three times, one another, one another, one another. Two words in English, one word in the original language in the New Testament. In Greek, it's the word alelon. And one scholar defines it this way, alelon. It is, quote, uh, where am I? I'm right here. It is, a committed participation, a commitment to mutual participation. Isn't that crazy? Commitment to mutual, that's all they learn. One another, commitment to mutual participation. So Jesus both modeled this and he required it for all who are in God's family. So here's the question, did they do it? Did they do what we kind of do? Eh, not really, ain't gonna do that. Second century early church father, Tertullian, 
in his writings, he reported on what the Christians were doing in second century Rome. Now, let me just say this. Second century Rome is far more godless than the culture we're living in today. Second century Rome is far more oppositional to the Christianity than we are today. So did they do this? Let's see. Tertullian wrote these words. He said, the practice of such a special love brands us in the eyes of some. See, they say, how they love one another and how ready they are to die for each other. Friends, the most missional thing we could ever do is love each other in God's family like Jesus did through the good, the bad, and the ugly. The world is divided, filled with hatred. Nobody's loving each other Jesus' way, but we are called to do that, and it's the most missional thing we do. And so before we dive into these one another's, because that's where we're going today, I want to say two quick things. First of all, if the New Testament applies Jesus' charge to one another life and the family 58 different ways. In other words, alelon occurs 58 times in the New Testament. Second thing I want you to know is that these one another spell out our responsibilities. If you're in the family of God, these are our responsibilities, and God will hold us accountable to live them out. And so as I said, there are 58 one another's, so we're gonna go one at a time, and for the next two hours, we're gonna, <laughs> just playing with you. Um, so what I did is I looked over the 58 one another's and took a sampling of them, and they, and they do unfold in four categories of responsibility in God's family that I'm supposed to do. So if you're a note taker, you can write this down. In God's family, first thing we do, we help each other up. We help each other up in God's family. By show of hands, how many of you ever watched somebody fall down and you laughed out loud? Come on, we're in church, raise your hand, right? Keep your hand up. Hey, just wait, your turn's coming. <laughs> Remember that commercial a long time ago where there's this elderly lady and she's laying on a bathroom floor and she cries out, help, I've fallen and I can't. Oh, you've seen this. When I was a dumb young punk, I thought that commercial was hilarious. That is until I found myself down, unable to get up. I was 15 years old and I was helping a buddy work on his motorcycle and we hung it from the rafters in his garage with a chain and let the forks out and, you know, and our neighbor's dog went by. And I'm like, that dog's not supposed to get out of the yard. I'll be right back. So I grabbed the dog, take it, put it in the yard, close the fence. While I'm walking down the street, I hear a crash down by the garage where I came from. I was like, oh, I wonder what's going on. I better get down. And so I'm running down the street. And as I'm running down the street, there's this pile of trash covering like the whole sidewalk where I was running. So as I'm running along, I'm thinking, hmm, Six million dollar man. So I'm dating myself. If you're laughing, you're dating yourself too. Six million dollars. So I'm running down the road and, and there's this pot. So I jump in the air and I get in the air. I'm like, da, 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 da. <laughs> while I'm in the air, I look down and I notice a metal pole sticking up right where I was going to land. So in midair, I go, oh, no. But I didn't really say that. <laughs> I said that, right. And, and so I talked, I rolled, and I landed on the ground so hard that I had that white flash, you know what I'm talking about? And then when I shook it off, laying on the ground, I looked down and I saw a metal pole going in here and out there. I was what they call impaled. That's not funny. 
As I lay there on the ground, I'm looking around and I, I can't see, there's no one. I call out, there's no one. And let me just say, that is the worst feeling ever, to be in pain, to be confused, overwhelmed, and to realize that there is no one who knows you're there. Maybe some of you are in that place right now in life. Well, in one of his first letters, the very first letter in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul was one of those Pharisees in the Gospels who became a transformed follower of Jesus, who then shared the good news of Jesus and planted churches all around ancient Mediterranean area. He wrote a letter, it's his first letter to a church. He reminds them about their one another responsibilities in God's family. Here's what he said, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15. Paul said, and we urge you brothers, notice the family language, family, it does not mean men. It actually means brothers and sisters, so don't get hung up. Oh, it's not for us. It's for everybody. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So here we have a one another. God's family members in the text, in many texts in the scriptures, referred to as family members. So we have this mutual responsibility that as a way of life in God's family, we do good to one another. So what does that look like? We just follow the verbs. The verbs tell the story. What are we supposed to do? Admonish the idol. Admonish is kind of like a, it's kind of confrontational a little bit. Every once in a while, what I need more than anything is a swift kick in my blessed assurance. <laughs> Sometimes I need that. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everybody. So what are we talking about? We're talking about these are our responsibilities in God's family. Now the truth be told, there's some of you here today, you, you, you've been knocked down. You need some help. You need some support. You need some strength from others. You need motivation. The question is, where will you find these resources? Answer, in God's family. God has distributed his resources within his family. And if your need could be known from someone else, someone could meet that need. There are some of you here today, I could mention a need, you'd raise your hand. There are others of you here today, I'd mention, who could meet that need, you'd raise your hand. If only we could get you together, you would find that God is meeting your need. God has invested his resources in his family. And it's the one anothering a commitment to living this way, good, bad, and ugly, that brings the resources of God into the very needs that we have in our lives. In fact, the oldest letter in the New Testament written by Jesus' half-brother James, one of the major leaders of the early church, it exposes one of the most difficult, challenging needs we will ever face. Check it out. James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person, that's someone else praying for you has great power in its working. Again, we have some one another's here. There are two of them. Now, to be completely honest, my tendency and your tendency might look like this. When we fall into sin, our human tendency is to run away and isolate. Am I wrong? I'm not wrong. But instead, God calls us into spiritual accountability. Notice the two words, confess and pray. Rather than run off and hide like kids in a corner with a poopy diaper, God calls us to each other to share our struggles and our mistakes with each other. 
so that we can pray for each other because we need each other to help each other up, to get right with God and to stay right with God. We need each other. But I want you to notice in the text, notice the two words confess and pray. That is incredibly inconvenient to confess your sins to another human being. It is incredibly difficult and challenging. Why would I do this? Notice what the text says. Confess your sins and pray to, for one another that you may be, let me hear your voice, healed. The word literally means restored, lifted up. Lifted up is what the word literally means. Newsflash. God heals our lives. He lifts us up and restores us in our connection with his family. Let's go back to my leg. As I was going into the operating room, the doctor looked at me directly and said, Jim, to be honest with you, you're going to lose your leg today. Just rust all over. It was everywhere. You're going to lose your leg today. I'm happy to report I did not lose my leg. When they got in there and they did the surgery, they're like, well, we cleaned it out. This is going to be bad, but maybe we'll just let it go and leave it. So they cleaned it out and set me up. Here's the deal. My leg healed. How did it heal? Here's, here's the key. It turns out my damaged leg was connected to a healthy body. And the health of the body brought healing to the damaged leg. How? Just by being connected to it. The damaged leg drew the health of the body and became healthy over time. You probably know where this is going, don't you? <laughs> if we are connected with others in the body, we can draw from their health over time and God can lift us to where he wants us to be. In the same way, God uses this one another life to bring healing and restoration to our lives. Rick Warren said this years ago, and I've never forgotten it. He said, one anothering is God's answer to the loneliness, weariness, despair, and defeat that we experience in your life. And I am telling you from my own personal experience and the testimony of scripture that I am only as strong as my commitment to God's family. And in God's family, we help each other up. Secondly, if you're a note taker, in God's family, we hold each other up. We hold each other up. Now life is full of heavy burdens that we were not meant to carry alone, that we do often carry alone. In fact, maybe you could take a moment right now and just think. Is there a heavy burden that you're carrying? As a kid, I grew up near um, some railroad tracks. Uh, I was on the wrong side, but we were near the railroad tracks. And as a bunch of kids, we had nothing to do in the neighborhood. And one of the things we do, we'd play on the railroad tracks. You're like, well, that explains a lot. It does, doesn't it? So we play on the railroad tracks. One of the games we would do is we'd walk the rails in a contest to see who could go the farthest. If you ever walked on railroads, like they're slick because of the, the way the trains and all that, it's tough to do. And so I was never any good at it. Like I was horrible at it. That is until I learned the secret. Turns out the secret to walking the rails is the same secret to walking with God. You see, walking alone, I could only go so far before, you know, inevitably, sooner or later, I'd lose my balance, I'd step off. Try it next time you see some tracks. Look both ways first, though. But here's the secret. If there's another person on the other rail, and you reach out, and you join hands with them, and you walk with them, 
There is no limit to how far you can go. You can walk to the next county. You can keep on walking. You can keep on going. Writing to a bunch of Christians who are being crushed by religious guilt. You know how that feels? Crushed by religious guilt. Again, it was the Apostle Paul who applied these one another's of Jesus very powerfully in Galatians 6, chapter 2. He said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus has a law. He does. What's the law of Jesus? Bear one another's burdens. The word burden in the original language in Greek, it refers to a crushing weight. Too heavy for one single person. It's a heaviness. One scholar defines it this way, quote, an onerous or difficult concern. So let me ask you, do you have that right now? A crushing weight in your, a heaviness that you're carrying? Because the reality is, listen, the reality is unless and until you reach out and join hands with someone in God's family and begin to walk together with them, you'll carry that burden alone. And God never intended for that. And it'll be just a matter of time that you will stumble. And here at Hill Country, it's our heart to bear one another's burden. So I'm just gonna, maybe if you have a burden, first of all, in any of our locations, at the end of our search, you can come down to our prayer team, you can talk to them. Or maybe if you're thinking about it right now, I do wanna invite you to consider using a digital tool. I know that sounds impersonal until we reach out to you and we're connecting. It's called our Connect Card. So if you have a burden, even right now, why don't you go to hcbc.com slash connect card, one word, and just share your burden because we are here for you. The truth is God cares. He wants to help you and he placed the strength and the power in his family to carry those burdens. Writing to another church in Corinth, the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 wrote these words. He said, but God has so composed the body, that's a metaphor for the church, the family of God. God so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division, no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Here we have a one another. Now it's connected to the words same care. In God's family, we are to care for others and we are to be cared for by others. Let me ask you, does that describe your experience with church? Because you gotta give you the bad news, friends. For, there are many of us who have experienced church as an event that you attend when you can, but you have yet to experience church as a family where you care and are cared for. Here's some bad news. A church event can never love you. A church event can never walk with you. A church event can never hold your hand to pray with you, to cry with you, to be with you. What a church event can never do, the family of God can. But you have to reach out. You have to join hands. You have to learn to walk together with others in God's family. And if you do, there's no limit to how far you can go. Latin American evangelist Luis Palau put it this way. Maybe if you have money, health, busy schedule, you don't feel the need to fellowship with other Christians. But when the storms of life hit, and I'm here to tell you, they will hit, suddenly you will find 
nobody's there. If you remain shallow in your relationship to your local church, you will lose out on the support of other Christians when you need it most. Listen, God never intended for you to lose out on his care. He never intended for you to lose out on strength and support. He never intended for you to lose out on discovering his purpose for your life. Because I'm here to tell you, my testimony and testimony of scriptures, I am only as strong as my commitment to God's family. God's family, we help each other up, we hold each other up. And number three, if you're writing notes down, here we go. Number three, in God's family, we build each other up. We build each other up. That's what we do. How many of you, by show of hands, have ever lifted weights in a gym, but no one else was around? You ever done that? I love it. No one's in the squat rack. It gets dumbbells I can use. It's like, awesome. Well, one time I was working out at a gym. It was like a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week deal. And it was late at night, and I couldn't, scheduling-wise, I'm like, well, I'm just going to go at night. So I went at night, and there was nobody there. I'm like, sweet. So I'm in there, and it's chest day. So it's chest day, and I'm working out, and there's nobody there. I'm like, this is so cool. And finally, I get toward the end. I'm like, you know, I'm going to cap it off with, with like, you know, I'm going to top off. So I load up the bar, and, you know, it's... It's chest day, so I'm like, I'm pushing this bar, so I get this bar, I got, I got, I get to the point of failure, I go, I got one more, I got one more, got one more, got one more, I push really hard, I did not have one more, bam, the, the bar came down, slammed into my chest, and I was pinned under 650 pounds, no, I'm <laughs> that's felt so good to say, but you know I'm lying, so I, I was being kind of absent-minded a little bit late at night, I didn't put clips on the bar. So here's what I did. I started rocking the bar back and forth, right? Okay, okay. And the weights start coming off. I'm like, awesome. So this side of weights, they come off. I'm like, sweet. But once that happened, the other side went, bam, it just crashed into my ribs and I heard a cracking sound. Yeah. Cracked ribs are the gift that keep on giving. <laughs> Sneeze, cough, burp. Torment. So long story short, I hurt myself trying to build myself all by myself because it doesn't work that way. And all through the New Testament, Jesus, one and others are, are being applied in so many different ways. And in 1 Peter, Peter chimes in. The apostle Peter says this, 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, like if you're sorting out, what are we doing here? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, instead of run away, love deals with the good, the bad, and the ugly and stays in it together. It's a commitment. Now I want you to draw, I'll draw attention to the word love and loving right there two, two times. Every passage we have talked about today that has the word love in it refers to the same Greek word. There are four different words at least in Greek for love. This one that we've been seeing all day and we see right here is the word agape. That refers to God's love for people. God's love for people, if you haven't figured out yet, is different from people's love for people. We love each other when we feel like it. And then we stop when we don't feel like it. That's our love. That's not God's love. He loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. And here we see God's love, loving one another with God's love. And that love gets us through the good, the bad, the ugly. He covers up even, even our sins can't break that. So here we see God's love building up the life of a person. That's incredible. Here's a question. How does God's love flow into your life and build you up? How does that happen? Does he like just download it? Is this like the matrix where you just sit in a chair? You take that thing and in the back of your head and you're like, I know Kung Fu. I know God's love. Is that how this works? 
No, friends, here's how it works in the scriptures. God loves you, and he wants to express that love, and he wants you to experience that love. How am I gonna experience it? You're gonna experience it through one another. You see, if church is just an event that you attend, then you'll put on your Sunday best and cover up and hope no one ever sees your flaws. But when church is a family where you really do commit for the good, the bad, and the ugly, you will find that you have joined a beautiful mess of imperfect people who are being transformed by God's love together. How would I define a church? Here's how I would define it. It's a beautiful mess of imperfect people being transformed by God's love together. There are no perfect people. There's never gonna be a perfect church. If you find a perfect church, do not join it because you will ruin it. We are and will always be a beautiful mess of imperfect people being transformed by God's love together. The writer to the Hebrews puts it this way. He said, but exhort one another every day. Every day. That's not convenient. That doesn't fit the way we do the Jesus thing. Every day. Exhort one another. Every day. So long as it's called a day that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Notice that word sin. Isn't that an ugly word? Sin's an ugly word that breeds ugliness. So how would you define sin? Even better, how does the Bible define sin? Here's how I would summarize how the Bible defines sin. You just gotta look at the word and look at how it's spelled. S-I-N, the middle letter tells the whole story. I, the middle letter's I. Sin, I wanna do my own thing. I wanna go my own way. I wanna be my own standard. I wanna define my own good. I wanna define my own identity. I wanna be my own God. Sin is the great I problem. And our text says that sin deceives us. How? Sin deceives us into thinking there are no consequences for playing God in our lives. But there's a consequence built right into this text. It's right there. Here it is. So that none of you may be hardened. Sin turns us into a person that God never meant for us to become. Nobody sets out to become an addict. There are a lot of addicts. Nobody sets out to become an abuser. A lot of abusers. Nobody sets out to become a liar, a thief, fill in the blank. The reality is, friends, you can't build yourself all by yourself. I need you and you need me. 19th century playwright Oscar Wilde was really one of the brightest literary uh, lights of his generation. Oscar Wilde, many people don't know, grew up in a Christian home. And as soon as he could, he got out of there and he left it all behind. And he lived a life of legendary immorality. So much so that he was thrown into prison for two years for gross indecency. Toward the end of his short and very tragic life, living in isolation, Oscar Wilde began to have deep remorse, looking back over his life, realizing that there had been people all along the way who were trying to turn him from this path of self-destruction that he gave himself over to. And in that place of remorse, realizing what was missing, he wrote these words. A true friend stabs you in the front, 
not in the back. What was missing in Wiles' life? Letting a true friend stab him in the front. Let me ask you, do you have any friends like that? Is there anyone in God's family that you allow to stand in front of you and say, man, I love you too much, and just stabs you in the front? Scripture says, Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. I am gonna tell you apart from God's family, apart from these one another's, you cannot become what God intended. And in order to become what God intended, it's gonna take a lot more than a church event and a worship service. It's gonna take a family for a journey that you are on, good, bad, and ugly, together. So I'm here to tell you that I am only as strong as my commitment to God's family. And in God's family, we help each other up, we hold each other up, we build each other up. And number four, if you're a note taker, you can write this down. In God's family, we fire each other up. We fire each other up. Let me see your hand if you ever heard it said of a guy or a girl that, man, they're on fire for God. You ever heard that before? You want that to be said of you? Man, that, that lady's on fire for God. That girl's on fire. He's on fire for God. I love that language. But the truth is no one stays on fire for God apart from the one another life that Jesus calls us to in God's family. But sadly, we've been reared and raised in a culture that programs individualism into us. And so as a result, many of us are operating from an unbiblical worldview. We view relating with God strictly as a private thing. It's me and Jesus, we know what we're doing, we don't need anybody else to tell us what's going on. The question is, is that even biblical? So, I put together some numbers here. Let's look at some key terms in the New Testament, see if that kind of thinking is biblical. Here's one, Savior, this is an important term. Savior occurs 23 times in the New Testament. 22 of those references, of 23, are referenced to Savior of a group, not an individual. Only one time is the word Savior used of an individual to save a single person. Hmm. The Apostle Paul used the word Lord 54 times in the New Testament. 53 of the 54, he said it in the plural, our Lord. Only one time do you say my Lord. The word disciple occurs in the New Testament 269 times. 243 of those occurrences, 90% are in the plural form. Speaking of disciples in community with one another, not isolated individual disciples. Get this, the phrase child of God occurs no times in the New Testament. But the phrase children of God in the plural occurs nine times. What's happening is many of us have confused personal relationship with private relationship. You cannot have a private relationship with a father who has his family. Personal relationship will affect every area of your life. It will draw you out of you. It will draw you into his family, good, bad, and ugly over time, and you will become the person that God intended. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 10 summarizes all of this beautifully. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together as the habit of some. Hey, do you know people are like, yeah, I don't do that anymore. Great, don't do what they do. Don't do that. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, the day Christ returns, drawing near. Again, a couple of one another's encourage one another, but the second one is interesting. Stir up one another. This word stir up in the Greek, <laughs> it means provoke. Sometimes it's translate irritate. So what's supposed to happen? What are my expectations when we start to do life in God's family together? Here's one, you're gonna get provoked by other people. Might even get irritated. And our text says, stir up one another. Provoke one another to love and good works. What's going on here? 
Scripture's telling us that when we get together and do this one another life, we should be provoking one another to love Jesus more and more and better and better and love one another more and more his way, better and better, and to do good works, to serve each other, support each other, pray for each other, care for each other, you know, all those, one another's, and do the good works out in the world that Jesus calls us to do. Because friends, that's what it's all about. So let me ask you, do you want to be on fire for God? Because I know in my heart of hearts that I do. And in the same way that if you had a blazing fire and you just took one log out and set it off all alone by its side, it will cool off and it will die out. And in the same way, the exact same way, the follower of Jesus who opts out of God's family will only cool off. And the fire will die out. 16th century theologian St. John of the Cross put it this way. He said, the soul that is alone is like the burning coal that is alone. It will grow colder rather than hotter. So let me ask you, does that describe you today? The soul that is alone growing colder rather than hotter, because I have some very good news for you today. Here's the good news. It doesn't have to be that way. You can be fired up. How do I do that? It's all in God's family. By show of hands, how many of you remember the Hokey Pokey song? Hands, see your hands, Hokey Pokey song? Remember that? Put your right hand in, take your right hand out, put your right hand in, shake it all about. You do the Hokey Pokey and turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. That's the hokey pokey, right? There are many today who are hokey pokey Christians. They put their right hand into God's family and then their immaturity gets exposed, even challenged. They take their right hand out. Or they put their left hand into God's family. They begin to spend time around other people and then they discover the ugliness of other people that can be there. Forgetting about the ugliness, same ugliness that's in them. So you take your left hand out. Hokey pokey Christians. You remember the last line of the song? Put your whole body in, take your whole body out. Put your whole body in, shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. That's the last line. I believe Jesus says to his people today here. Put your whole body in. Don't take your whole body out. Put your whole body in. And shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey. And you turn yourself around. Because that's what it's all about. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, good, bad, and ugly. You are to love one another, good, bad, and ugly. And by this, the world will know, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that you have provided a family for us. We don't have to be alone. We don't have to struggle to belong. We can enter your family 
Thank you so much for providing a place where we can grow to become all that you intended. And say, Lord Jesus, today we are so grateful that you came to this earth to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. You lived a perfect life, obeying in every way, offering that to the Father as a perfect sacrifice. And on that cross, you took our sins on yourself, every one of them. And you rose from the grave, and now you offer forgiveness of sins and a new life through your own spirit who comes to live in all who call upon you. And we recognize today that the moment we do, the moment we call on you, we get a new father adopted into your family. Thank you that we're in your forever family. But we just learned today that we are to be responsible in that family. In our prayer today, Holy Spirit, would you, would you open our eyes to know would you empower us to reach out, to join hands, and to begin to learn to walk with one another, helping each other with the gifts you've given, holding each other with the gifts you've given, building each other and firing each other up with all that you have given. Our prayer today, Father, is we are done being hokey-pokey Christians. Today is the day, now is the moment we say, I am all in, all of me to all of you, for all of your glory in your church. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.